Hello everybody and welcome to the first official TechMobile vs. RBI.com podcast. I'm your host Brad. I'm joined as always by the one and only Nate Mers. How you doing Mers? Uh, you ready for the show today? You know I am. Uh, very excited for today's podcast. It's the last uh, weekday of my vacation uh, today when we're uh, recording this. So unfortunately I have to go back to, to, to real work here in a, a little bit but I get to have some fun tonight so excited about that. You know, we'd like to thank the listeners for taking some time out to tune into our podcast and for checking out the show today. So thank you all out there on the web, and we appreciate you uh, coming to our side. And Yeah, thanks a lot. So now we got a great show planned today. I'm totally ready to get in the nuts and bolts of Tech Mobile and RBI Baseball for the listeners at home. we got some interesting topics on deck that we'll tackle for about the next eh, half hour or so. Also, we're going to use this as a vehicle to talk a little sports as well. Now, to sidetrack for just a moment, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with TechMobile versus RBI.com, basically it's this huge, crazy warehouse that's filled with strategy, analysis, insight, and all the player ratings. Uh, It's got a lot of useful information, and it just so happens to be the outlet for our completely absurd obsession with Tech Mobile and RBI Baseball. And our uh, significant others would agree that it's an absurd obsession, but, you know, most people think of Tech Mobile and RBI Baseball as these archaic games, uh, especially by today's standards. You know, uh, it had two two buttons, an A and a B button, and, you know, the, the big cartridge you put in there, and... You know, today's joysticks and today's uh, controllers have about 453 buttons and uh, and various things to move the, the players around. It, in general, people really remember it as being fairly simple. The games were simple. Uh, the system was simple. But, you know, with two decades of experience, strategy, and even research, these games have become very, very complex. Sure, no doubt about it. Uh, the level of competition we've reached lately has never been higher. Uh, and also, we never gave up on these classic games, and our motto is very simple. We don't reminisce like others do. We just keep playing. All right, well, let's get the show on the road. So, Mers, why don't you tell our audience at home what they've won? Well, today on the podcast, we'll be taking a long, hard look at the 2011 RBI Baseball World Series matchup. Uh, that best-of-five series for the title pitted Detroit against the American League squad. We'll be comparing the lineups, we'll be looking at the bench players, the pitching staffs, and who we think the better team is. From there, we're going to break down the theory of our past defensive schemes in Tecmo Bowl and explain why you can't just randomly pick plays on defense. I know people think because there's four plays on Tecmo Bowl that it's fairly simple, that all you just do is go and try and pick the right defense and there's nothing to do after that. Well, we'll talk about slowing down the high-powered offensive teams and what calls you need to make and what types of calls can actually affect the game once you've called one of those four plays. Next, after that, we're going to get into a segment I'm looking forward to where we'll talk about Russell Wilson going to Wisconsin and the effect it may have on the Big Ten. Uh, As a big Hawkeye fan myself, a big Big Ten uh, person, uh, I'm really interested in talking about that. From there, we'll look at the 2011 Tecmo Bowl season as the playoffs are quickly approaching. And we'll have all that and a few other odds and ends to talk about before the show is over tonight. So, Great. Sounds awesome. Well, let's get started. First thing we're going to tackle is the 2011 RBI Baseball World Series matchup. Now, the best way, if you're home right now, to follow along would, would be to go to TecmoBowl versus RBI.com. In the second navigation bar, you'll see one that says RBI teams. If you put your cursor over that, it'll drop down to RBI batting lineups. You'll want to go to that page because that page has all the uh, power ratings, speed ratings. It'll make it a lot easier for you to follow along at home. Now, the first team we're going to take a look at is American League. They played against Detroit in the in this World Series. Just a little backstory: American League had to upset National League to get to the World Series, and Detroit had to take out Boston. So we kind of had a couple surprising upsets, uh, so it wasn't quite the matchup we anticipated. Nate, why don't you give me your thoughts on what you like about the American League's batting lineup? My thoughts is, as far as what I like can be summed up with uh, the words Willie Randolph. Willie Randolph is the first batter in the lineup, and he's horrible. And what I love about that is that means that I instantly bring in Mark McGuire to replace him. And what I actually really love about their lineup is Mark McGuire being first. Because Mark McGuire getting the most at-bats of any player in the game 
is awesome. Remember that for each uh, pinch hitter, the first time they pinch hit, you get a 64-point power boost on your power rating, which takes McGuire's power ranking over a 1,000, which is just incredible. He is ridiculously powerful, and basically, especially on that first pinch hit, you know, I've, I've tried to pitch around him, and if he touches the ball, it uh, has so much life on off his bat that uh, I'm pretty sure he's hit some that still haven't landed yet. I really like the fact that Mark McGuire goes in first, and any team that I'm going against has to face him uh, more times than anybody else. I also like basically the fact that uh, the first five spots in their lineup are crazy powerful. Every one of them's uh, hit moon shots on me. Uh, you go against, you know, after you got McGuire, you got Mattingly, and George Bell is just killer, and Jose Canseco has an even higher power rating than McGuire normally, which is just incredible as well. Um, Ripken also is powerful. There's some other bats in that lineup as well, but I really, really love just the, the power at the top of the order. I also kind of like the fact that as far as the bench goes, after McGuire, it's a little thin as far as power goes, but they have some speed on the bench. You have Julio Franco that can come in, and he's a 140 speed, which is super fast. And, you know, you also have Paul Molitor who can come in. And, you know, the bench isn't too too shabby. Uh, you occasionally would want to put one of those guys in for Bill Schrader or Schroeder, the catcher at the bottom of the lineup. But the, for the most part, it's Mark McGuire replacing Willie Randolph that makes me excited about their lineup. All right, well, we covered the stuff we do like. I'm going to take a, just a minute here to talk about what we don't like. My biggest problem with American League is after uh, Jose Canseco, you have Cal Ripken there in, in the, let's see, that'd be the fifth spot. And Ripken, as far as power goes, is a pretty average guy. And then after him, it's like a complete black hole. Just a slug of weak bats. Baines, he is a lefty. He's got a weak bat. George Brett, Bill Schroeder, you know, obviously we end up subbing him out a lot. And then you get the pitcher. So my problem with the American League is if you can work around the big bats at top, basically your pitcher gets to cruise through four straight batters without really worrying about giving up a home run. One other little problem I have with the lineup, after McGuire, Mattingly, he's also kind of an average power hitter. And I found Mattingly to be a double play machine quite often. So if you can pitch around McGuire, you can get Mattingly in, in the double play. And then you really just have to get Bell out, and then you can pitch around Canseco, and then you basically go downhill on the, the last part of the lineup. I guess I would say the, the other thing I don't like about the lineup is the fact that they're very weak in, on left-handers. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, Brad mentioned that Don Mattingly is a double-play machine, and he's a left-handed batter. He, he's got some power, and he's a good hitter, but if he hits the ball anywhere near the ground, it's going to be a double-play. The other left-handed bat in the lineup is Harold Baines, and he leaves a lot to be desired from the left side. And the other thing is they have zero left-handers on the bench. They their the entire bench is right-handed heavy, and I, I like to have at least some options coming off the bench in case I want to throw a lefty in there, depending upon who the other team's pitching. Some pitchers it's easier to hit off of if they're left if you're batting sure. a lefty, and so that you don't really have that option with the American League squad. Yeah, one thing I'll add just quick to hear the last point. A lot of times Don Mattingly is kind of the linchpin to the offense. If you pitch around McGuire and then Mattingly starts coming through and getting hits that game, it makes them so much harder to beat. So this comes down a lot of times to what Mattingly can do as he's sandwiched in between those big bats. All right, let's uh, hop over now and take a look at Detroit's lineup. Uh, what are your thoughts now on Detroit? I love Detroit's lineup. They're my favorite team to play with on the game, actually. The reason for that is because they have a ton of lefties. Uh, and I love batting with lefties. I think it's actually easier to hit with lefties, especially since most of the dominant pitchers in the game are right-handed. So you, the, you have the advantage in hitting with a lefty because you can see the ball come in and curve a little bit better. I love the fact that in the top of their lineup, you have to face Gibson, Evans, and Noakes all from the left side, back to back to back. I love Lou Whitaker, who's another lefty at the bottom. I, I also like the fact I have hit a home run and continuously hit home runs with every single person in this lineup. It's not something where it's rare to hit a home run with any of these guys. Like Literally, you can hit homers cons consistently with everybody in this lineup. Larry Herndon, the fifth batter, you always replace with Bill Madlock. Madlock is, is from the right side on your bench. His boost, his initial boost at extra 64 really helps him. He's much better 
the first time through than he is after that. He gets a little weak after. He's uh, average. The, average, yeah. He's an average hitter after after you get that first initial boost off the bench. I also like their bench in general. They have two lefties, two righties on the bench. All of them are, you know, okay. Bergman's a little weak uh, from the left side, but they have a lot to offer off their bench as well. Not that I generally would want to pinch hit for anybody other than the pitcher. So Yeah, and one thing I'll add is their bench is really key because late in the game they have a ton of options they can give you with that pinch hit power bonus that you can throw out there to increase your power. So when you need that late late inning home run, um, you pretty much you know you have the power number to do it. So that's that's one of the benefits of their deep bench. And again, you know what I like about their initial lineup is that other than immediately putting Matlock in for Larry Herndon, the only other people you're going to pinch hit for, generally speaking, are your pitcher. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that as an option. And, again, you have the option of going left or right, either side. So the top of their lineup, Alan Trammell and Kirk Gibson also have a lot of speed. Uh, so that's a, a plus as well. So. One thing I want to add that I really like about Detroit, and it's their number eight hitter, Tom Brookins. He's the most powerful number eight hitter. He cranks out a 897 power. Now, most of the time when you're facing against or facing a lineup, you can basically blaze through the eight hitter to get to the pitcher. But a lot of times, you got to pitch around Brookins or walk him. And especially when he homers out and the pitcher's on, you know, on deck, man, that's just demoralizing. Yeah, usually, you know, you, you think you have two outs, two easier outs at the bottom of the lineup, so you can have at least one inning with one of your crappy relievers that you yeah. can get through one more inning with them. But these guys, you cannot, because the bottom part of their lineup can kill you. Um, I know I've killed you yeah, <laughs> actually yeah. with Brookins a ton. Definitely. So uh, there's no easy out in this lineup, and I like that. Yeah, that's perfect. And then. I, as Nate kind of touched upon, I really love the lineup because it's it's like a lot of combo of lefty righty, lefty righty. So you can give the pitcher a lot of different looks, uh, just so they can't really settle in with one pitch or anything. Now, looking at stuff we don't like about the Detroit lineup, really not a lot. Probably my only gripe is uh, I think the lineup would probably be better served if Daryl Evans batted fourth because if if, uh, if you can kind of get through Allen Trammell and Gibson. You can kind of pitch around Evans. You can even walk him, and then it's a couple mediocre, you know, power hitters before before Lemon comes up, and he's kind of like the next big power guy. I don't really have much to complain about this lineup. I guess other than the fact that I wish I was a little better with Alan Trammell because I suck with him, but personally, but <laughs> yeah, but he's really awesome on the game when I'm not using him. I guess my one complaint would be that Matt Noakes should be better than he is. Yeah, um, sure. he's kind of a, a mid-level hitter to be honest, and he's their cleanup hitter. You see him in the lineup, and you, you think, oh, he should be awesome, and he's really not all that great. Awesome. All right. We're going to take a quick look at the pitching staffs. Obviously, American League has a huge advantage. Now, if you're listening at home, from the RBI teams page, they'll have the drop-down menu, and then you can bring up the RBI teams pitching staffs. So you'll want to go to that page, and we'll uh, talk about American League first. Now, American League is a I consider them to have the second best pitching staff in the game. You have a real dominant left-handed pitcher with Jimmy Key. A lot of people I run into, they love Brett Saberhagen. I'm not like a big fan of right-handed pitching, but he's a righty, he's a side armor, and he's got the goods pretty much in every facet. Next up is the bullpen guys, Rigetti and Hankey. The one thing I like about these guys that, that separates them is they have the ability to pitch inside. Lefty, lefty, yeah, righty, righty. Exactly. That sort of thing. So they're, they're kind of an anomaly because they have the ability to face, you know, Rigetti's left-handed pitcher. He can face a left-handed bat, and he can blast it inside like no one's business. From top to bottom, no matter which pitcher you have in for the American League, you really have a competent guy. So that's what makes them a great challenge for the Detroit offense. Hanky also has a really great fastball as well, and, sure. and Rigetti's is pretty good as well. Both their starting pitchers have some great curve, so they can really do some damage uh, against batters as well. I guess as far as Detroit goes, I love Detroit. play with Detroit a lot. Doyle Alexander is one of my favorite pitchers on the game, mainly because his curve left which would be curving away from the right-handed batter or into the left-handed hitter, is excellent. It's a, it's an 11 rating, which is super high. He has a ton of, he just has a ton of ability to pitch it in there and make it look like it's going to go over the plate. So you swing, and then he swings it out there and wondering why you swung at his pitch. Jack Morris should be a lot better than he is on this game. Uh, in real life, he was a great pitcher. Um, on this game, he's mediocre. 
Willie Hernandez, uh, the left-handed reliever, is one of Brad's favorite players in the game, one of his favorite pitchers. Love that guy. Um, mainly because he changes speed so well. His normal pitches are pretty you know, lame. And, Up 70s, low 80s, yeah. Right, and now his fastball, however, reaches into the upper 90s. So yeah. big, dramatic changer. And that's huge because uh, you're never really sure what to expect. You're expecting you know, a normal pitch to come across, and you have that kind of time down, and then all of a sudden this guy launches a ball you know, uh, about 800 times faster than that. So it's really he's really hard to hit. Their, their last reliever, Eric King, uh, he's from the right side. He is one of the worst relievers in the game. He's horrible and has absolutely nothing of great value. Eric King is one of those guys, I like to call him the last man standing, and that means that's the last guy you want on the mound. So when you've exhausted all of their options, you bring him in and just hold on to hope. If you can get two innings with Eric King, you have done a great service to humanity and mankind. He's one of those guys you want to bring in if a a team has like a mediocre back half of their lineup so you can try and get two innings out of him by facing a pitcher and a week eight batter and maybe you get lucky that they're their seventh batter or their leadoff hitter is pretty crappy, but he's just horrible. Yeah, well, that pretty much uh, sums up the bats and the uh, pitching staffs for each team. Now, American League and Detroit are facing off in a best-of-five series. So who do you like in the series? I I guess I would have to say it's got to be American League only because they can match uh, some of the power that that Detroit brings, but they also have the better pitching staff, and pitching wins everything almost all the time in this game. Pitching is key. I I guess I'd have to go with American League. they got to be the favorite. I actually disagree. I'd go with Detroit. I think there's enough holes in the lineup, and there's just that black hole, as I talked about with American League, that if you can just kind of skate around those big, powerful hitters for American League, you can coast enough, and, and you don't probably need to have a great pitching staff. And then, as you talked about, American League does have a great pitching staff, but Boston just, or excuse me, Detroit, offers so many challenges with all their bats, lefty and righty, swapping in and out throughout the lineup. So I would actually go with Detroit, um, you know, to win a best of five, three games to two. I guess I would say that any game that Alexander's pitching in for Detroit, I, I give them an advantage. Any game that Jack Morris is pitching, yes. I'm thinking American League is going to win just because they not only have to face Jack Morris, who's as I mentioned earlier, kind of mediocre, but they also, then that means you're going to face King, and King is horrible. So I definitely would give the advantage to American League just because of their pitching staff. All right. Well, let's uh, hop into the next segment here. Now, at TechMobile versus RBI.com, there is a TechMobile strategy page, and it outlines the five basic strategies. Now, those are good to get you started, but what we're going to talk about here is going to go a little bit more in depth. So what, I, what you need to do right now, uh, Tech Mobile versus RBI, is head to the Tech Mobile Teams page. Because later on, we're going to discuss some game plans that we use to slow down a couple high-powered offenses. And uh, if you're on that page, you'll be able to follow along better If you're because you'll be able to look at the playbooks. Now, you've probably noticed with Tech Mobile that at certain times during a pass play, the computer will occasionally assign a defender to cover one of the receivers. So three receivers go out and the computer picks up one of them and the defender you control only has to try and cover the other two okay i'm sure you've seen this happen now why does this happen is this a random occurrence what causes it the answer is very simple the defense called a pass play but it was not the same as the offense but here's the deal the game still rewards the defense for calling a pass play and it assigns a defender to cover one of the receivers Now this is what we call computer-controlled coverage. So the premise of computer-controlled coverage defense is quite simple. It not only eliminates one play, obviously because you called it, but you can get some serious coverage help from the computer on the other pass plays. So through some studies, we've determined which is the key pass play to call against every playbook. So once you start to understand this concept, then you can start to look at things like down and distance and then make a more educated decision with your third down calls. So in the best case scenarios, you can invoke some computer control coverage on the receiver that goes deep. Now this is huge for the defense. That goes a long way towards eliminating big plays and it also increases the chances of getting an interception, especially when the quarterback has a small window to throw into because he's got two targets that are in close proximity to each other. But there is a downside if you don't know what you're doing. 
The player used in coverage can change from one combination of calls to the next. I'll also add that the designated coverage player can also change from one playbook to the next. Now, in some cases, it's a defensive back that the game uses to offer coverage, and in other cases, it's going to be an outside linebacker. So it does take a little work to figure out which pass play gives you the best computer-controlled coverage against every team. And then you also have to make sure that you're not the defender that's assigned coverage. Because if you choose that defender, it will eliminate the help the computer will have given you. For instance, let's look at the Tech Mobile team's page and the Seattle Seahawks playbook. I think they're ranked like number 7th on our list there. So if you scroll down, you can check this out. Now, by looking at the playbook and getting the explanation of the coverage, it should help to make things a little more clear. So, if you're looking at Seattle's playbook, if I call pass one repeatedly, I can assure you with 100% probability, the game will use the top defensive back to cover Steve Largent uh, when the offense calls pass two. Now, on pass two, as you can see there on the diagram, Largent goes deep, and that leaves the other two receivers uncovered, but they're very close to each other. So by calling pass one and using a bottom defensive end, I'm in great position right at the snap to cover both those targets and eliminate a quick pass to them. And then Dave Craig, he has to make a pinpoint pass as the routes develop or he'll get intercepted. Now, I will offer a reminder that what works against Seattle is not necessarily going to work against some of the other teams. And with some playbooks, you know, the bottom receiver gets covered, so you have to make some adjustments and use a defender from the top half of the field. The bottom line is that the players used in the coverage do change from one playbook to the next. Now, I'm going to have Mers talk about some of the things he does to slow down the high-powered offenses of the Dolphins and 49ers. Now, these teams used to score like crazy back in the day, but we've gotten them under control, and he'll explain just how we do it. You know, I've had a lot of trouble in my life against San Francisco and Miami, especially when Brad or a good another good player, somebody who's talented and knows what they're doing in the game, is using them. I've always been pretty good at defense against most teams in their passing game, but for some reason those two teams have always killed me, mainly because they have three pass plays. And I always had this kind of strategy like that I had to pick the right play. So my defensive strategy would always be to try and get a play pick against them. I would use, it didn't really matter who I was using on defense in my mindset because all I'd be trying to do is, you know, try and pick pass three when he was going to call pass three or I was going to call pass one when he was going to call pass one and try and get that automatic sack because I play picked him. Well, what I've found over the years is that strategy doesn't work and it's not very fruitful. If your goal is to outguess the other person by guessing which play they're going to pick, yeah, yeah, Tecmo Bowl has four plays. But that means that you're going to be wrong 75% of the time if you're picking their, their if you're trying to guess their their play. That means there's still three plays that they can kill you on. And if you're playing a team like San Francisco or Miami, that means that their other two pass plays are going to kill you if they pick that and you pick the wrong one. What I didn't really understand was how specific players go out in specific coverage on specific plays. And understanding those specifics can really help you. They've changed me, especially with playing against Miami and San Francisco. I'll give you an example. I've beaten Brad more times this year when he is San Francisco than I have in all the years we've been playing this game combined when he's been San Francisco. The reason is because I've learned how to call pass one and be a top defender. Why? Because on pass one, when he calls pass two or he calls pass three, my bottom outside linebacker will cover one of his players. We'll cover the bottom wide receiver, in fact, who just so happens to be Jerry Rice, one of the best players in the game, one of the fastest players in the game. Jerry Rice has killed me in the past, and the reason for that is because when he's not covered, he goes deep, and unless you have a super fast player like LT or you know Ronnie Lott, you're going to get hosed and Jerry Rice is going to beat you. And Jerry Rice is even going to beat those guys if you're not covering him completely. So I can't tell you how many countless touchdowns I gave up to Jerry Rice or, you know, as, as Brad was mentioning earlier, to Seattle with Steve Largent, who's not anywhere near as good as Jerry Rice. So And one thing I'll add is um, is if, if you have Jerry Rice and Steve or uh, Mike Wilson up, up, open up top, you can't cover both, even with LT. Even if you streak down the middle, Montana's arm is too strong. 
So if Jerry Rice is open, it's just shooting fish in a barrel if you want to go to Mike Wilson. Right. You know, two of the two of the best quarterbacks in the game, probably without question, are uh, Joe Montana and Dan Marino, uh, the two teams I'm talking about, Miami and San Francisco, the two teams that have killed me. They throw so fast that even if you have one of those top elite defenders, they're going to be able to, to pick and choose which receiver they're going to hit unless you call the right play. And the right play against San Francisco is pass one because it covers Jerry Rice and allows you to be a top defender to try and get one of the, the – that means the rest of the receivers are going to be curled into one small group so you have the ability to cover them with a top fast defender, whether that's a top D end, a top outside linebacker, or a top DB. Against Miami, the, the call is a little bit different. I'll tell you what, I have had more heartaches with – Uh, and more headaches with Miami than probably any other team. I've been killed by them in the past uh, just a ton. And, and again, it was because I was always guessing. I always felt like I had to guess which play they were going to call. Well, what I've figured out is that I can call pass three instead, and that will limit them a ton. With both those teams, they still have super high-power offenses, but in this way you can limit them to where they shouldn't ever blow you out by 30, 20 points, whatever. They shouldn't kill you. They, should, they may still beat you because especially if the person's good with the quarterbacks, they can, they can hit wherever, but they shouldn't kill you anymore. Also, it, uh, it, when, when you make the right calls against these high-powered offenses, you give yourself a lot better chance to, to get interceptions, and it really makes the, uh, the opposing quarterback have to not make mistakes. So you kind of put a lot more pressure on San Francisco, which Nate's found this year. I've thrown a ton of interceptions with uh, Joe Montana, so I've kind of got to rectify that. But it's changed how, how I've had to play offense, too. And again, my strategy has changed a lot in that my strategy used to be, again, that I would just try and guess and outguess the, the person I was playing with and try and guess when he was going to call pass one, when he was going to call pass two, when he was going to call pass three. Well, now it doesn't really matter to me what he calls because I'm going to limit him when it's San Francisco. I'm going to limit him by calling pass one and being a top defender when it's you know, against Miami, I'm going to call pass three, the shotgun play. That means his favorite play is taken away, the shotgun play. It also means that I'm going to have really good coverage that helps me limit his other plays, pass one and pass two. Now, the problem with this against Miami, unlike San Francisco where you call pass one all game and be a top defender, when you call pass three against Miami, you have to be careful, especially with teams like Cleveland where their best defender is a top defensive back because the top defensive back goes out in coverage on pass two which is something I didn't know for a long time. And um, I would go be the top defensive back for Cleveland, and I'd get killed, uh, wondering why I got three open guys going down, even though I'm supposed to have computer-controlled coverage. Well, I was being the computer-controlled defender, so I kind of took that computer defense help out of uh, context for me. Good stuff, Nate. Good stuff. So I think it just goes to show that over the years, you know, even these games are we've been playing forever, we're still learning a few new tricks of the trade. And last season, Miami struggled to 6-6. Six and six. I did rebound. I rebound this season. I felt like I kind of got it figured out and was able to hit the reset button. But now San Francisco this year is going through those same struggles, so I'm going to have to make an adjustment so they can get back to winning games like they used to next year. My challenge to you guys is this. Stop trying to guess the other person's play and start using the strategies that you'll find on Bowl versus RBI.com. And now to the segment I've been looking forward to uh, all day. As a Big Ten fan, as an, as an Iowa Hawkeye fan, I've been waiting to talk about Russell Wilson since I heard he was going to Wisconsin. For those of you who don't know, Russell Wilson, quarterback for NC State, uh, is, is leaving NC State and is going to Wisconsin because of some weird eligibility rules. He's allowed to play this season and doesn't have to sit at all. So the one deficit where Wisconsin, where people worried about them, was that quarterback after Tolzien left last season. They've filled it with a senior quarterback who started for the last three years. So it sounds like the perfect marriage. It sounds like Big Ten title. It sounds like national championship hopes. It sounds like all those things. And I got to tell you, my initial reaction was the same as everybody else's. Oh, man, they got Russell Wilson. Oh, man, give him the Big Ten title. Give him a top five right now. They're definitely going to win the Big Ten. 
um, without question because the one deficit they had again the one place where they really didn't have somebody coming back that was you know as good as somebody they left that left was that quarterback position it was the position that if you read all the the magazines from the end of last year and before this transfer occurred it's the piece where everybody was worried about Wisconsin will they get good enough quarterback play will somebody fill in for Tolzien well now Russell Wilson's there and he's a senior and he's awesome so everybody thinks okay Big Ten title and that was my initial thought too but then I thought about it and I had in the back of my mind as I was as I heard this story Russell Wilson really isn't that good in looking at it I'm right he's not really that good in fact I really think and and me and Brad will probably disagree on this but I honestly think he's a horrible fit for the Wisconsin offense I think it's a bad move. I think it's actually a bad marriage. And what you're going to find is that the type of quarterback that is successful in the Wisconsin offense is not the type of quarterback that Wilson is. Last year, for instance, his completion percentage was 58.4%. For his career, he is right around 58 to 59% completion percentage. Now, if you listen to it and you hear, okay, the guy threw 28 touchdowns and 14 interceptions, that doesn't sound too bad. But here's the problem. In Wisconsin's offense, their job is to not lose the game and to hand the ball off. That's the quarterback's job in the Wisconsin offense. Your job is to be efficient, to throw for a high percentage, and to not screw up and to not lose us the game or not lose us field position. That is what Russell Wilson is not good at. For instance, last year he was sacked 39 times. Now, I know NC State's offensive line is nowhere near as good as Wisconsin. Wisconsin consistently has one of the top five offensive lines in the country. They will again this year. So, yes, his sack total will go down. But the fact that he was sacked 39 times last year, and he's supposed to be, at least in mindset, he's supposed to be a running quarterback, tells you that he really doesn't know how to get rid of the ball. Russell Wilson's game is not a short passing game. His game is to throw the ball to a wide receiver for longer gains. He is not good at short passes. In fact, he was such an inefficient passer. Last year, he had a 6.76 yards per attempt. Now, that sounds like he's a short area passer, but if you've seen his game, that's not his game. He's just that inefficient. This is a guy who consistently throws in the mid 50 to 60, you know, early 60 percentage-wise completion percentage. He's never had a completion percentage above 60%. Last year, for instance, Tolzien from Wisconsin, who was very successful, uh, led Wisconsin to a highly successful season, the type of quarterback that you want in that sort of offense, had a 72% completion percentage, which is ridiculous. For those of you who can't count, that's 13% higher than Russell Wilson's last year. Russell Wilson is not the type of quarterback you want in the Wisconsin offense. Again, and I'll repeat and then I'll give this to Brad to let him talk about this, but again, the type of quarterback you want in Wisconsin's offense is to do this. Be a person who manages the game, doesn't throw interceptions, and a guy who will not lose you anything. Russell Wilson is a guy who consistently loses games for his teams because he's so inaccurate. He is not accurate, and that's the type of quarterback you want in the Wisconsin offense. Well, I definitely have a rebuttal as I disagree with a lot of the things you just brought up. First thing I want to say is that Wilson was a one-man show at NC State. All right, He didn't have help like Tolzien did in the form of this great pounding rushing attack. Wilson was, for the most part, just a one-man show, so I don't really see how you can compare the quarterback play at Wisconsin to that of NC State. When I'm looking at the powers in the ACC, NC State is not in the equation. During Russell Wilson's tenure, they've been pretty much a mid-level program at best. So week in and week out, they're facing teams that are better than them, or across the board, they have a lot of position players that are better than them. NC State had the 11th ranked rushing offense in the ACC last year. So not only was this O-line porous, meaning that Russell Wilson was sacked a ton, he also had the situation where he got no help in the run game, so Wilson and his receivers were not facing eight men in the box. That made Wilson's job a lot harder, and he had to run for his life in a lot of cases. So even though he's pretty athletic, he was still sacked that many times. For all of Russell Wilson's athletic abilities, if you look at his stats, he doesn't run that much. To me, that means he's excelled predominantly as a thrower uh, in the offense at NC State, and he's done so in order to generate offense. So he doesn't use his legs much. 
Uh, that tells me that he'll do fine as a pocket passer at Wisconsin because he'll have adequate protection. And See, that's the thing, though. Everybody thinks this guy is a runner. Everybody has in their mindset the same thing you just said, which is that he's this great athlete and he's an athletic freak and he's all this stuff. And people think he's, the, you know, people think of them in their mindset like he's Terrell Pryor or, you know, Randall Cunningham or something. He's not. He rushed for 30 yards a game on average and 10 carries last year. That's three yards a pop. This is a guy who consistently loses yards, occasionally breaks one, but this is a guy who only ran more than 50 yards twice all last season. This guy is not a runner, and the problem with him is he's also not a very good thrower. Uh, again, you said you said he's a thrower. He's not a thrower. This is a guy who can't hit the broadside of a barn. This, this is a guy who, if he was five feet away from my barn and I had a big target on it, he couldn't hit it with a water buffalo, okay? This guy is not a thrower, and he's not a runner. So you have a problem. What you have is an athletic guy who's not good at either things you want a quarterback to be good at. He's not good at completing passes, and he's not good at escapability, even though he's an athlete. All right. Well, so that means you don't think uh, Wisconsin's going to win the Big Ten championship? I don't. Uh, I'll go right. you one better. Here's here's a, another stat that will help you out. Last year in their four <laughs> losses, um, where you want an elite, high-level quarterback, uh, one of the things that separates good quarterbacks is how well they do in their team's losses. Okay? In their four losses last year, he threw seven touchdowns and eight interceptions. Okay, against teams in his conference last year, which usually they're a pretty good. The ACC is generally a pretty good defensive conference. They were a little down last year, actually. But in the team, in the games against teams that have a breathing, living defense in that conference last year, for instance, he threw for 105 yards on 30 attempts against USF. He threw for 178 yards against Florida State. He threw for 212 against Clemson on 36 attempts, and he only threw for 163 yards against North Carolina, and that's with a North Carolina that was depleted. This is a guy who doesn't do well in big games, doesn't do good against good defenses, and this is a guy who consistently cannot hit an open target. This is a guy who, unless the guy is wide open, cannot hit him. His completion percentage, again, is horrible. Compare him to Tolzien last year. Tolzien last year threw six interceptions. That's the type of quarterback you want in the Wisconsin offense. This is a guy who you want to hand off the ball to your running backs and let them and, and the big nasties up front do their job. Russell Wilson is a guy who consistently loses games for his team. Last year against East Carolina, a team that North Carolina State should never lose to, Russell Wilson lost that game himself. He threw for one touchdown and three interceptions against East Carolina. That's inexcusable. That's a guy losing a game for you. And against Big Ten defenses, which are a heck of a lot better on the aggregate than ACC defenses, he's going to have a tougher time than everybody thinks. Yes, as a Hawk fan, I don't think Wisconsin is going to win the Big Ten title. I would actually predict it's either going to be Michigan State or Iowa. So there you go. couple last final thoughts on this Russell Wilson discussion here. First, I want to point out that Russell Wilson has a three-touchdown-to-one-interception ratio in his career at NC State, which, considering what's been around him, I think that is phenomenal. And I'll also say that I feel as Wilson transitions to the Wisconsin offense, and he's no longer the focal point on offense, and he starts to see eight men in the box, you're going to see his efficiency approve drastically. And on the flip side, I would say that if you put Tolzien at NC State, you know, even though he was super efficient at Wisconsin and he managed the game and all this, Tolzien would not have been able to win nine games. And Tolzien probably would have been sacked 50 times because he lacked athletic ability, such as Russell did, to at least evade pass rushers at times. And as you talked about Russell Wilson, you thought he lacked the ability to throw the ball away. If Tolzien is throwing the ball away because of the bad offensive line, his completion percentage is drastically going to drop too. So my last thought on Wilson is that in Wisconsin's offense, he's really going to get to use his athletic ability to his advantage. They're going to be running some play action pass. He's going to have some plays where he gets to roll out, probably even run a bootleg or two. So I think he will be a perfect fit, and his production will skyrocket as he gets in the Wisconsin offense. 
I guess I would say I think that this guy's uh, like David Beckham. He's a guy that everybody thinks is awesome, and he's a you know a superstar and a rock star. And in reality, isn't as isn't as good as the money you're paying for him. So, all right. Well, um, we're gonna get back on task and back to a quick recap of the 2011 Tecmo Bowl season, which we are in week nine of. There's only three weeks to go as we're getting geared up for the playoffs. Um, right now, we're going to take a brief look at the AFC Tecmo division. You got the Giants at five and four, Redskins and 49ers at four and five. You know, our season consists of 12 games, so they've played nine games at this point. Usually, at this point, you can kind of see how this season's gone. The Giants uh, hold the tiebreaker against the Redskins and Niners at this point. They are five and four. They're probably going to win the division. They've been the most consistent team in this division. The Niners being four and five is shocking. The fact that their defense has been okay isn't shocking. The fact that their offense hasn't been better is kind of shocking. And that gets back to something we've talked about before about learning how to to call pass one as a strategy and be a top defender. It is really limited with the, the Niners this season, especially since the Niners are in a conference which hosts a lot of fast and good top defenders. Yeah. So yeah. the one thing I would say that I really notice about this division, the AFC Tecmo division, is the Washington Redskins have the same record as the Niners. They're competing with the Giants. They, again, have the best points against rank in the entire game. And, unfortunately, the points four for them is the second worst. So if they could just score points in some fashion – they would be just a ridiculously dominant team. If they didn't have that stupid wide receiver reverse and they had another run play or they had another pass play to mix it up, man, what a killer team those guys would be. Sure, would be. Now we're going to hop over to the AFC Bowl division. Chicago Bears at 7-2. They're pretty much meeting our expectations. Right on their heels are the Colts at 6-3. I figured the Colts would be, you know, in about this about with this record, and then the Vikings are 0 and 9. Currently, the Bears are in the driver's seat for the number one seed going into the playoffs. The Colts can overtake them because they split, but the Colts have a poor division, or excuse me, the Colts have a poor conference record. So it's pretty unlikely that the Bears will not win the AFC Bowl division. The NFC Tecmo division, you got the Dolphins. Seven and two, Seahawks five and four, and Browns at two and seven. I really think the Dolphins being seven and two has been a mirage. I honestly don't think they've played that well. They've just won some really close matchups where they they looked like some. they were, you know, they looked like they were uh, gonna be defeated, or it was nip and tuck down to the end, and Dan Marino comes up with a, a play out of his rear, out of nowhere, and, and wins the game for him. So, other than the fact that Dan Marino's been insane this year, you know, I, I honestly think that record, they really haven't played as good as their record, but they're in a weak conference. As you notice, uh, the better, t- the generally speaking, better teams in the game are up in the AFC division and AFC conferences, so the Dolphins have had it kind of lucky this year. I think. I'll add a couple things about the Dolphins, though. They do have the third-ranked defense in the league. They also have the fourth-ranked offense in the league. And they went out and beat the Giants and Bears this year. So, you know, they have been winning the close games, but week after week, they go out there and just get it done. They have gotten it done, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, the fact that their defense has been this good is the shock of the year to me. The Dolphins' defense should not be as good as it is. They've been playing out of their minds, and they have several guys who are going to compete for the all-defensive team for Tecmo this year. Now we'll take a quick look at the NFC Bowl division. The Raiders are 7-2. and two. They've already won the, their division. I hate the Raiders. Cowboys four and five, and just basically treading water. And the Broncos at three and six. They've kind of picked it up a little bit lately. So what we're basically looking at here is the Dolphins and Raiders are going to duke it out for the one seed. And then there's going to be a lot of movement between the Seahawks, Cowboys, and Broncos fighting for a home game. Bo Jackson has been absolutely ridiculous this year. If not for the fact that Dan Marino has been just as good and just as ridiculous, uh, Bo Jackson would have the MVP award sewn up already. 
he has been just absolutely insane. I've had uh, multiple times where he should have been caught, he should have been tackled, and for whatever reason, he shook a defender and broke off a 60-yard touchdown run when he should have been stopped for a you know a three, four, five-yard gain. Yeah. He's been absolutely nuts. Yeah, Bo's had quite the resurgence. So that's pretty much the gist of it. Now we're not going to spend a, a ton of time on it because there's still three weeks to go. But I think the only thing that really stuck out is almost. Every prediction we made, we were completely off on. This has been just one of the most crazy and unpredictable seasons ever. I think part of what's led to that, too, is that the top defenses are clearly in the top half, the AFC uh, conference. Even the good teams, the teams that are killing their, their divisions, the Dolphins and the Raiders in the NFC side, the defenses have just been putrid down there. Huh. And so you, you see teams who have scored hundreds of points and – it's just a situation where there's just so many points going up from week to week in that NFC division because there's no defense being played. It's you know it's kind of like a Big Twelve game. There's no real defense going on. It's just a whole lot of offense. So. Okay, well that well that's be a college football conversation for another day. So well we should probably get in the home stretch here and finish up the show. Okay, we're just gonna go with a couple quick hitters to finish up. Nate, uh, what do you think is the best matchup in Tech Mobile? And by best matchup, I mean regardless of which team you have. My favorite matchup in Tech Mobile is the New York Giants versus Washington Redskins. Interesting. Now, there's no way Washington should win this game just because they don't have the offense to be able to move. And literally, as the Giants, you can call one play the entire game and stop Washington from moving. So barring a kick return or an interception that goes crazy on you, you have no business scoring a point on the Giants with the Washington Redskins. Having said that, it's my favorite game because we've had so many wars and so many great matchups with this, even though New York always wins it like 3 to nothing, The best games have always come from that series of games just sure. because both defenses are awesome and it's nip and tuck and both punters can do stuff. and So it's just a really fun game to see who's going to screw up first, and that's really what decides that game is who screws up first. Sure. And I'll also add that earlier in Season 5, we had a Washington-New York game that went like an hour and 20 minutes. That's four times longer than a typical game. Went miles in overtime. And honestly, the stress level in that game was oh. like the largest of the season. And it was so fun. And it was just amazing. And then the whole time, you know, you kind of felt like the Giants were going to win eventually. But eventually never really came yeah. until an hour and some later. And, so. and like an hour into that game, I was just like hell with it. I just wanted to give up because I knew I probably there was no way I could probably win. But it, it was a fun game, though. Definitely it was it was historic. I'm going to go with what I think the best matchup is the 49ers and Bears. They The styles kind of contrast. They're both superpower type teams. And sometimes it's a free-for-all. You really don't know what's going to happen or who's going to dominate that game. I so. will say this. Because both teams have such good defenses, what I love about that game is the fact that both offenses were it seems like built to beat the other's defense. Yeah. And it's really weird because Chicago's offense is usually really good against San Fran's defense and vice versa. So it's really kind of crazy. Uh, what would you think, what would you consider to be eh, the worst matchup in Tech Mobile, regardless of what team you have? Um, I guess I would say Dallas versus L.A., because Dallas does not have a defender to stop Bo Jackson. They also don't have a very good defender to stop anything else they really just have a they're just a poor matchup on top of that i struggle with dallas and with la so there's probably a little bit of that too I but see. yeah yeah i'm not gonna say what i consider the worst matchup but there is a game that i hate to play and that is seattle against denver and the reason being absolutely they mirror each other completely now every other matchup we can usually pinpoint some position or some place where one team has an advantage you can exploit and these teams are so closely linked it's it's just basically who can get the three points first or who screws up first and that, that's really the only deciding factor and I hate that game too because it's really impossible to run during that game yeah I just I hate that I hate the fact that you can't run because I love running so what do you think is the best matchup in RBI baseball the best matchup in RBI baseball is not my favorite. The best matchup in RBI baseball is probably Detroit versus Boston. Uh, just because they have, they both have power, they both have, you know, interesting lineups, and 
You know, Detroit's pitching is probably just a smidgen better, but Boston's hitting is a little bit better. And Detroit's one of the teams that can really compete with Boston. So I love that matchup. Sure. I'm a big fan of St. Louis and Houston. Those Are you games, kidding me? Those games, I've played so many 13, 14, 15. I think we've even rolled out an 18-inning game. Uh, really, no team has – it's kind of like – it's like the Denver-Seattle game I just talked about, but in RBI, no team really has an advantage, and it just comes down to getting key hits somewhere, you know, in extra innings or uh, giving up that homer to some weak guy. But this, as you keep going further and further, you know, into extra innings, the tension mounts. So I love that game. That's interesting. I, uh, I, I'm betting you like that game because you, you like Jack Clark and. Uh, and you like a uh, tutor, but um, actually, typically I'm Houston though is the deal. Oh yeah, yeah. actually. And I walked Jack Clark like eight times by the time we get to the 14th <laughs> inning. So that's... my favorite matchup in RBI is actually when we play San Francisco versus New York. Oh, um, I just that. think the teams are, are beautifully matched against one another. Mm-hmm. Um, with the the various the pitching matchups are interesting. The the pitchers are made to get out the other team's hitters. You know, New York's lefty dominant for hitters and. San Francisco's pitching is really good at pitching away from lefties, so I really like that matchup. Sure. Well, we're going to put a wrap on this show. Uh, Hopefully we're off to a good start, and as always, we'll probably try to do better next time. Now, we're going to try to introduce a guest onto the show next, uh, probably late July, early August. We're going to have uh, Travis Jansen from the website rbibaseball.us. And Travis is a guy that I consider to be one of the most important figures in the Nest community today. Reason being, he's big into promoting online RBI and Tech Mobile play, and every year he releases a RBI Baseball updated version, and and he's uh, one of those computer whizzes. So RBI, his updated versions now have 30 teams instead of 10. So uh, we'll get Travis on for that. We will. Um, Start to preview the 2011 World Championship at Tecmo Bowl, which will be held uh, mid to late August in Chicago against the dreaded Canadians. Go Uh, Team USA! That's right, Team USA. And thanks for checking out the podcast. Uh, Again, the website's techmobowlversusrbi.com. And if you want to help support us, post a link to the website on your Facebook status uh, post a link to it on Twitter. You know, just do do whatever you can to uh, bring us a little bit more traffic. So, I guess I would say in finale, um, really go to the site, check out the different strategy stuff for both games. Um, you can really learn to stop guessing and really start to play intelligent, uh, well thought out, complex versions of this game against good opponents, and you can get a heck of a lot better, and you don't have to guess anymore. Sure. All right, people. Well, we will see you uh, late July or early August, so thanks again for listening.